Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. Do the Clippers have any answers for Dallas? Will the Hawks silence Madison Square Garden again? Plus, how concerned should fans be over players who sit out OTAs? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. The L.A. Clippers continue to have no answers for Luka Doncic, who put up 39-7-7 in a 127-121 win in L.A., putting the Clippers in an 0-2 hole. Joining me now from Locked On Clippers, Will Updike and Will. This is worst-case scenario for an L.A. team that is coming off a, a disastrous finish to the playoffs last year in the bubble so what is the the point at which you can say, okay, this is where they can turn this around? What could give the Clippers hope that they can become the fifth team to pull out of that 0-2 from home court advantage hole? Uh, you know, like I, I, the defense just has to make a major turnaround. This to me was the game that I was kind of really excited to see what Ty Lu would do with the rotations. I, I thought that the first game very much felt like kind of a rough draft and he was kind of trying some things out. Um, and I thought from what we saw in this game, things were kind of trending in the wrong direction. Reggie Jackson had 30 minutes, uh, you know, which ate into uh, Rondo's time. Terrence Mann, he threw out as an interesting look, which I, I do think that that was like a, a positive step in the right direction. But the biggest issue is this defense just doesn't look playoff ready. They're just not getting stops. I feel like the Mavs are scoring at will. Um, and you had really two great offensive performances from both Kawhi and Paul George. You know, Kawhi had 41, Paul George had 28. He couldn't really make a shot from outside, but he was 55% overall from the floor. Uh, I thought, you know, like, offensively you would like to see some more guys kind of step up but like i i mean to me it wasn't anything that's like a wild outlier in terms of their production i what i'm seeing is this team is just not able to generate multiple possessions where they're they're having solid defensive stops and i you know i think that it's absolutely defcon zero for this team yeah you mentioned defcon zero and, and i think we get a little bit overexcited about wanting to play the blame game in these kinds of situations. But for the Clippers, they invested heavily in the core of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They made the coaching change. And a few years ago, they made some tweaks to the front office. So where do they go from here? I mean, what kind of changes need to be made so this can be righted, even if they do go on and 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 come back and win this series? I mean... With the Clippers' salary situation, it's really difficult. I mean, I know they're going to look to try and unload Patrick Beverly. I, I don't see them being able to net any sort of positive return on that. Um, just where they are, I mean, you look at this. Luka Doncic unloaded Patrick Beverly in this game, too. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, that that was never a matchup that's that's been good for Patrick Beverly. Um and I, you know, I thought, you know, we, we heard in the pregame that we were going to see more Kawhi on him. I, I didn't think that we saw it enough. Uh, he all, they also kind of got the switches that they wanted uh, when Kawhi would start the possession on him. So it's, it, they're really limited. And I, I mean, I think like the biggest area that needs to be upgraded is still probably the guard position. Um, you know, I pointed to the Reggie Jackson thing. I, I was a big fan of Reggie Jackson in the regular season. I thought that he did a good job like piloting this team. 
in the absence of Patrick Beverly, but he's just too big of a liability defensively to be on the floor. Um, so it's, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think that, you know, if it was an internal decision to sort of flop that last of two games to cherry pick this matchup, I mean, I got to be honest, that's going to come down on Ty Lue. And, and part of it is just, you know, maybe you can chalk some of this up to an injury year for the for the regular season performance and sort of where they ended up uh, in the playoff season. But the thing is, is, you know, we see this time and again with teams, right? Like when a team underperforms uh, and they're sort of hard capped as, as far as what they can do in terms of moves, you know, the easiest decision to make, you know, from a front office perspective seems to be the coach. Uh, so if I was Ty Lu, I, I would definitely be feeling the heat right now. Locked On Today is brought to you in partnership with Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, your new home for music, news, sports, and podcasts. Download the Odyssey app today. Coming up, will the Hawks silence Madison Square Garden again? That's next. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The L.A. Lakers fought back to get even with the Phoenix Suns. This is Andy Kamenetsky, co-host of Locked on Lakers podcast, and the Lakers have evened up their series against the Phoenix Suns, 109-102 win in Game 2, and several players who've been controversial, displeasing, or both after Game 1 really came through to help fuel the win. The always divisive Andre Drummond, who fans have been begging to see benched, had a double-double in the first half, finished with 15 points, 12 rebounds, 5 on the offensive glass, plus 2 steals and a block. Dennis Schroeder, who's been needing a breakout game since returning from health and safety protocols, 24 points, 6 of 6 at the line, had stretches where he was carrying the Laker offense. And then Anthony Davis, who said that the Game 1 loss was on him, made sure that was not the case the second time around. 34 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 3 blocks, 21 trips to the free throw line, which is just bonkers. Throw in some big-time shots by LeBron in the fourth, and that was enough. It was not perfect. Devin Booker and especially DeAndre Ayton remain problems. The Lakers still can't make outside shots to save their lives. But in the playoffs, a win is a win, and the Lakers were a far more energized, active, purposeful team Tuesday night. Sure, they're both in the NBA playoffs, but after two games, it's pretty obvious the Celtics aren't in the Nets league. Hey there, John Corrales here from the Lockdown Celtics podcast, and that did not go well for the Boston Celtics at all. Not at all. Joe Harris smoked them for nine first-half three-pointers. That was a team record. 22 first-half points, and he got the Nets rolling early, and they never looked back. The Celtics went back and forth with Brooklyn for the first few minutes, and then Joe Harris just took over, and it was an embarrassment from then on. The Celtics, I don't think they did anything different after game one. I don't think they ran a play. I don't think they moved the ball. They certainly didn't force the Brooklyn defense to make any sort of decisions. None of the stuff that they talked about, none of the stuff that they seemed confident about was there. And now the question is, will it ever be there? Will this Celtics team show any fight, any pride when they go back home? Because they didn't show anything in game two. What they showed was the worst of this season all over again. It does not instill any sort of hope for making this tough at all for Brooklyn. I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn laughed their way to a sweep at this point. In the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's a party in Carolina for Locked On Hurricanes host Jared Ellis. Woo! The Carolina Hurricanes, 
Jonas beat the National Fetters 3 to 2 in overtime. Jordan Stahl scored the game winning goal. I have no voice. Alex Duckman is a god among men and should win the Calder Trophy. Marty Natchez was deservedly the first star of the game. <sighs> As he scored two beautiful goals, especially beautiful wraparound goal and the Hurricanes now have a three to two lead over the National Predators as they look to close out the series on Thursday. It doesn't look like the Montreal Canadiens have any fight left in them as the Toronto Maple Leafs win 4-0 and take a 3-1 series lead. The Canadiens' only win was in a game one where they won 2-1. The Tampa Bay Rays' 11-game winning streak came to an end Tuesday night against the Kansas City Royals after a 2-1 loss. Rich Hill struck out a career-high 13 for the Rays. Tampa Bay's winning streak was the second longest in club history, one shy of the record set in 2004 by the then-Devil Rays managed by Lou Pinella. Hill is the only guy over 40 to have that many strikeouts other than Nolan Ryan, Gaylord Perry, and Randy Johnson. That's what happened last night. Here's what to look for today on betonline.ag. The NBA playoffs are in full swing. Betonline.ag has you covered. Can the Washington Wizards put up a fight against the Philadelphia 76ers? Well, the odds makers don't seem to think so. The betonline.ag line is Philly giving eight. The New York Knicks will try and bounce back against the Trey Young-led Atlanta Hawks after his game one dagger. The betonline.ag line is Atlanta getting two. Speaking of getting, the Utah Jazz get Donovan Mitchell back after he reluctantly sat out game one against the Memphis Grizzlies. The betonline.ag line for that game is Utah giving eight and a half. For all your NBA playoff, Stanley Cup playoff, MLB, or golf odds, betonline.ag has you covered. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus. Here is another story you need to know. Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks go into a raucous Madison Square Garden and steal a Game 1 win against the New York Knicks. And now even the mayor of New York City is taking shots at Trey Young. Joining me now from Locked on Hawks, Brad Rowland. And Brad, what is it going to take for the Hawks to put a stranglehold on this series? Ooh, I think it will pretty much be what they did in game one. Honestly, the Hawks didn't play their A plus game and they were still able to win. So if Trey Young is able to do what he was able to do in game one, getting wherever he wanted to on the floor offensively, they're going to be pretty hard to stop. And New York's offense is nothing special. Um, they'll play better than they did for sure. The Knicks will. But I think the Hawks are the more talented team, which definitely helps. And now that they have a leg up in the series with a, a road win on their ledger, they are probably in a pretty good spot. One of the things that stood out to me about the first game was Julius Randle, after absolutely demolishing the Hawks in the regular season, really struggled from the field, didn't quite seem as as in rhythm as we really we've seen him all year. How much of that is what the Hawks did to him and how much of that is potentially some of these heavy minutes played the most minutes in the league this year, catching up with him a little bit in the playoffs. This is a Tom Thibodeau team after all. Yeah, I was actually surprised that he didn't play even more in game one, uh, only 36 minutes. And I said only with a smile, but uh, that's where he was. And I think it was a combination of both. Uh, you know, Randall did not play well. Most of that is on him, honestly. Like he, he just didn't shoot the ball well, but the Hawks did a pretty good job 
throwing different looks at him. They were not going to have one guy just guard him all night. Um, he, he, he sort of did torch them in the regular season. They, they knew that, but now they're healthier. They have DeAndre Hunter to throw at him. They have John Collins. They have even uh, old friend Danilo Gallinari, uh, a veteran, not a great defender, but he's a big physical guy. They just threw different looks at him. And in game one, that was successful. Will they be the same in game two? We'll see. I think Randall's going to be better than he was in game one, but um, just kind of, not allowing him to go off is all the Hawks need to really do defensively in this series. And they kind of played it as if they knew that in game one. Uh, one of the things that I think is always difficult to predict is how a young, relatively inexperienced team is going to react to a little bit of playoff success. We expect the Knicks to come out, as you mentioned, hungry, fired up in game two. The The New York crowd going to be a little anxious. There's going to be, it's going to be a little tight in, in that building. So how do you expect this this Hawks team that is led by a bunch of guys who have not been here before. You, you We have the phrase, act like you've been there before. Well, the Hawks haven't. How do you expect them to come out and handle that pressure in game two? Yeah, I think it'll be a nice test for them. Obviously, game one was a test as well. That place was going berserk, even in game one. It's, it's hard to imagine, and I'm not tempting Knicks fans, but it's hard to imagine <laughs> that it might be even crazier in game two because it was... Uh, even just objectively, people that were having nothing to do with the series were saying, man, it's uh, it's crazy at MSG in game one, and the Hawks handled it. Now, there is more pressure on New York. I think it's a situation where the Hawks can play freely, honestly, because they've already they've already gotten their road win. They've secured the split, and that's kind of all you need to do in the first two games. So New York should be the team with the more pressure on them. Now, if the Hawks have to come back in the second half, maybe the pressure swings to them a little bit, but I think they can kind of go up there and play loose, knowing that they've already done what they were up there to do, and now they can sort of get, get uh, I would say, get greedy in game two, see if they can steal one. Because if they can do that, they'll be obviously in the driver's seat. How concerned should fans be over players who sit out OTAs? Our cue of the day is next. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. I can't tell you how many times in a week I'm sitting there at 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30 going, oh, man, what am I going to eat? And what am I going to eat where I don't feel like I have to change what I have for dinner? Or I don't feel like I have to change, eh, should I have that beer with dinner? No, Bilt Bar allows you to have something delicious that helps fill you up that also will not make you feel bad about it. Even if they're all covered in 100% chocolate, they are low sugar, low calorie, high protein, and high fiber. Check these things out. If you've never tried them, change that. Change that. They are the best tasting protein bar I have ever had. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the Day. The NFL is back. Players out on the field, at least in some cities. Joining me now, host of Locked on Saints, and host of Locked On NFL, Ross Jackson. And Ross, this is a, a usually a time of a lot of excitement for fans. They get a chance to see the rookies on the field with the veterans for the first time. They get to see their free agents for the first time. And yet, around the league, there are more players than we normally see skipping these voluntary workouts. We have to say that these are voluntary. But also, entire teams essentially saying, we're not showing up. Can you explain what's going on right now in the NFL? 
Yeah, it, it is an odd time at this point in the offseason where usually we're used to seeing social media explode with a bunch of highlights of people not wearing any types of pads, making impressive catches. That's usually <laughs> what this time is yeah. all about. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I mean, this is usually a time to where you would see a little bit of that uh, on social media. But more importantly, you would see those rookies and veterans that you mentioned start to get in rhythm with one another in walkthrough formats and in formats on the field that include seven on seven and 11 on 11 drills. But with everything going down the way that it happened last year amongst the COVID pandemic and all of the off-season activities being canceled, particularly those that were voluntary and being barred from being able to meet in person throughout training camp last year or the off-season programs last year, what we learned from the NFL perspective and what NFL players have taken note of were the limited number of soft tissue injuries preseason concussion injuries, recovery time for injuries that did take place during the offseason, all of those matters in addition to the relaxing of COVID protocols at this time all factored into many, many teams' players. Remember, it's the players' decisions more than it was the actual team's decisions. Those players making the decision to say, hey, these are voluntary in-person workouts. We're not comfortable going and being a part of them in the current iteration as they exist at this time. And some teams have made adjustments, other teams have not. And that's where you're starting to see some of the disparity across the NFL right now amongst players that are present and players that are missing during these OTA voluntary periods. There are teams, you know, like the team I, I cover day to day, the Green Bay Packers, they've got guys out there, but their top five receivers, I believe it is, are not there. Their top two starting corners are not there. So how big a difference do you think ultimately this makes in separating teams from, hey, this is the work they were able to get in versus the work that they weren't able to get in? Because continuity, we know, is a, a, an essential part uh, of team building in the NFL. Yeah, and I do think that particularly for teams that have maintained roster continuity from one year to another, they have the advantage of the leniency that comes with all of this and the understanding that, hey, these players will come together. They have worked together before. Let's take a look at a roster like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are bringing in just about 22 of 22 starters from their Super Bowl roster back for 2021, they may have a little bit of an advantage here than other teams across the NFL that have had a lot of roster turnover, such as the team that that I cover with the New Orleans Saints. There's a lot of roster turnover, particularly over on the defensive side, that may lead to a little bit of a disadvantage because of not having these offseason voluntary moments for these players to be able to get on uh, in, in concert with one another and on the same page. And finally, as restrictions lessen and things slowly get back to normal, the NFL is also on track to welcome fans back this season. First, teams will be permitted to host fans at training camp this summer, subject to state and local guidelines after keeping their doors closed during all of camp in 2020. Second, all but two teams have now received approval from state and local governments to open their stadiums at full capacity when games resume this fall. The two teams who haven't received approval are the Colts and Broncos. And according to the league, they are on track to do so. Now that you've got the news, go make some money. Listen to Locked on Bets, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on Thursday, will Donovan Mitchell help the Utah Jazz get their groove back? We'll have the latest from the NBA playoffs. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today. Today.